You're listening to the Holistic Spaces Podcast with Angie Cho, episode 32, The Way of Flowers with Marsha Shibata. Welcome to the Holistic Spaces Podcast, where we hope to inspire, educate, and empower you to create your own holistic spaces that nurture and resonate with you. Angie Cho and Laura Morris are the founders of the Mindful Design Feng Shui School. Together, they have over three decades of experience designing harmonious living spaces. Laura and Angie have guided thousands of people to shift their energy and revitalize their lives. Mindful Design School offers feng shui courses and certifications. Check us out at mindfuldesignschool.com. If you've been listening to us for a while or you're a newbie, welcome. And we hope you enjoy this earlier episode. So moving on to this episode, which is episode number 32, The Way of Flowers with Marsha Shibata. So um, Marsha Wong Shibata is um, a master Shambhala Kado instructor with the Shambhala Buddhist community, and she's co-founder of the Shambhala Kado Rigdon School. She is a student of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche and Sakyong Mipam Rinpoche, and having studied, she continues to study and practice in the major schools of Ikebana, both classical and modern, and she teaches from the view of nature's innate wisdom and from the Buddhist Shambhalian compassionate warriorship view. She was bestowed the title of Artist to the Kalapa Court in autumn of 2013 by Sakyong Mipam Rinpoche, and if you want to find out more information about Kado, you can visit kado, K-A-D-O dot Shambhala dot info. And that's going to be on the website. And she's also one of my closest teachers, uh, spiritual and flower teachers. And so I'm really excited to have her on. And a little bit more about Kado. Um, so on her website, it says that Kado is a way to discover and cultivate the source of creativity. And you can learn how to express this in flower arranging. Kado is a meditative and contemplative understanding of self, nature, space, and perception. Kado means the way of flowers. And the flower way began in China over 2,000 years ago. When it was introduced and assimilated into Japan, the Japanese word ikebana ro- arose, meaning living flowers. So Kado is a contemplative practice that studies nature as it is. Human beings are a part of nature and we are not separate. We follow the same patterns as does all life on this planet. Kado students simultaneously study the human condition while working with natural materials from the earth. So by practicing these classical Ikebana forms, Kado teaches us to see the wisdom of nature clearly, which is the same in ourselves and in others. So the ultimate purpose of Kado is not to make pleasant flower arrangements, but to discover joyfulness, work with obstacles, and develop respect for all things animate or inanimate for all sentient beings. And so I'm really excited to share my conversation with Marsha that took place just recently, and I hope you enjoy it. So Marsha and I actually looked up the word holistic, and we came up with some um, interesting information. Marsha, do you want to share? I'd like to if I can remember <laughs> some of it. <laughs> I think you covered it already, Angie. It's holistic really points the finger to, let's call it the secret or the unknown, unseen, unheard um, energies that 
play together in an environment uh, or are not playing together, are actually uh, interrupted somehow or cut off somehow because things don't quite mesh or have grace with each other. It could be anything. You talked about paint on the wall, so that's a good example. Maybe the paint color uh, doesn't really give the person who lives in the room or the home a sense of relaxation. Maybe it creates a lot of excitement or even irritation uh, or maybe even something as strong as aggression. Mm-hmm. Like a really red wall could probably do that. Uh, yes, I was thinking that or even uh, maybe certain colors of green could do that. Mm-hmm. Green, yellow greens particularly if there's a lot of light in the room, and so it, the whole environment feels extremely sharp and threatening. So, mm-hmm. Or just like a, a very dark home oh, versus yes. a very sunlit home. Or, yes. So all these things affect us. So it's um, with a holistic space and with flowers and with looking at things holistically in your life, it's really important to look at all the parts and how they integrate and the interrelationship and nothing really stands alone absolutely absolutely there's um, a wonderful term that came forward in not so many years ago through Thich Nhat called uh, I believe it's interconnected the term interconnected mm-hmm. and he was Thich Nhat was actually talking about all life forms, human beings to human beings first, but then human beings to animals, animals to human beings, and then the non, what we call less animated uh, forms of life that come from Mother Earth, and that's, of course, the plants, the trees, and the rocks, and the bodies of water, etc. But the interconnection is very, very real, and very, very subtle, and it influences, definitely influences uh, the human mind, heart, and activities, or, or behavior. And we used to be much more in, interconnected to nature and our environment and to other people, and we've kind of lost that that connection. So I think a lot of us are s- seeking that in our lives right now. I think that's completely mm-hmm. true. We haven't kind of lost it, Angie. We've lost it tremendously. Mm-hmm. Or from the, since the time of the Industrial Revolution and maybe even before that. Well, not they say not so much before that because we were still farming in our communities here in America. So, Angie, you're, you're really tr- it's really true. We really, it's not that we have sort of lost contact with mm-hmm. our nature or our genuine nature we have really lost contact with it and it's always spoken that this started around the time of the industrial revolution because before that here in america we were still farming and we depended definitely upon not only our families but our close closer neighbors to do things together because it was a first of all it was an enormous amount of work but the main thing is it was work with the land and the land was affected and the crops were affected and the animals were all affected by the weather. Mm-hmm. So we had to know and learn patterns of weather and know how to work with the whole situation if some, if it did not rain or if the hay was not dry and the consequences if we put it in the barn too early and that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the consequences were great. The barns would burn down because the, a wet hay will a wet ha- wet hay bale creates um, spontaneous combustion. Oh, really? I didn't yes. know that. Yes. Yes. Because I've lost my connection with nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Well, with farming, but yeah, and a lot of feng shui goes back to geomancy in that in agrarian times where we were much more connected to nature and we looked at the patterns of nature and and that taught us what were more advantageous ways to organize ourselves in the world yes and it still and it still affects us yes that's absolutely true that's absolutely true also we have to remember that the conveniences so-called conveniences that we've created the motor car and all of the electronic world has completely spun us away from connection with nature. And what we do now very often is we go on vacations and we pick places that are peaceful and natural because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there's no demand from nature upon the human mind. She only gives and allows things to happen. She doesn't demand a tip, for example, if you lay on the beach. No, she doesn't. And uh, she also is very, um, how shall I say, accommodating or forgiving. Forgiving. Uh, A mountain won't yell at you if you leave your plastic bottle on top of her. Mm. But a taxi driver might, or a bus driver might, or something like that. So nature is very healing from the point of view that there is no demand. She she gives mm-hmm. and asks nothing in return. But also she'll just keep going. Like when we had all those tropical storms here in New York, um, it was interesting because I remember, because I li- I, my apartment is where um, it's a flood zone. So the flooding coincided with the full moon I think the high tide and we had to and so it all connects with the cycles of nature and the cycles of the moon and it affected how high the water was and it affected our livelihood here even in New York City so even even um in New York City we're at the mercy of mother mother nature absolutely Mm -hmm. no one can escape her power and this also all ties into flowers right so so flowers are nature or a representation or part of nature right absolutely of course (laughs) some i like to call them the jewels of the planet uh for obvious reasons they're what we call beautiful and fragile and the variety that nature has created in flowers is endless and they're most of them are very very short-lived so in this case the jewel like a diamond lives for as the advertisements say, forever. But a flower lives a very short time. And a flower, but flower gives, can give a tremendous amount of joy. Yes. Just by looking at it. We actually don't have to own it. We can enjoy the presence of a flower in a botanical garden or a park or even pots along the, what do you call them, the streets, in the window boxes as we walk around the city. And what what are some of the things that we can learn from flowers? Well, I think we can learn a lot. I've already mentioned a few things. The fragility of the flower 
is actually a reminder of the fragility of our own being. Uh, human beings are both, and flowers are both, very strong and very fragile and very brief in their existence in time. The flower is usually more brief than the human expression. Nevertheless, it we are born, we manifest, and then we pass, just like everything else. And another thing I think that comes to mind what we can learn from flowers is that they are a natural expression. They don't have to wear makeup. They don't have to put on a false um, personality in order to mix with the rest of the flowers in the bouquet or the forest (laughs) or the garden. Uh They are naturally themselves. Mm. And this beauty is something I think that, very much so I think, that human beings can be and uh, cultivate and it is uh, very. It is much more genuine than an artificial approach to life, a fake or how should we say a secret, a secret way of being, or covering your own secrets, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that can like be like a mask. Yes, like a mask. Thank you, Angie. Yes, it's not masked. It's not flowers are not masked. They're so good. It, they're just themselves. They're just themselves. And even there are flowers that we sometimes people don't like. Nevertheless, they have their own presence and beauty. And maybe it's like everything else. Maybe you don't particularly care for the shape or the color, but somebody else will appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and there might be a different time in your life when you're more attracted to a, a flower. Could be, of course. I things remember I change. used to like tulips a lot, and now I like dahlias. Okay. <laughs> So we yeah, got, it so changes. It tells you something. It can tell you something. And um, so you talked a little bit about how flowers can affect your inner environment. How can they affect your outer environment, like your home, having flowers in your home? Well, I think that's an easy and obvious answer, if I may say that to you, Angie. Mm-hmm. Flowers are life. They are actually still alive, even though they've been cut from their mother root, a bouquet of flowers, a vase of flowers. Um, and they will stay with your in your home for a number of days, depending on the situation, the kind of flower and the heat of the room, that sort of thing, time of season. What they do is they bring the outside into your home with tremendous grace and tremendous, uh, I hesitate to use the word beauty, but beauty is the word, mm-hmm. and gentleness. And, and humble, too, with com- humbleness. Completely so, mm-hmm. completely so. And they don't, uh, flowers don't invade your world. They sit there with an extraordinary uh, presence with elegance and Uh, quietude. So they're very nourishing for the human world because our human world, if you look around your room, everything basically is man-made. The house itself, the furniture inside it, the silverware, uh, the various ornaments, um, paintings and that sort of thing. It's all made either by a craftsman or by a machine. And so everything is square, shiny, um, functional. It could be pretty, of course, like your drapes or whatnot, but it's they're handmade. They're, I mean, they're machine-made. Mm-hmm. They're 
But nature itself, all we do as human beings is we purchase the flowers or cut them from a garden and the branches and that sort of thing, bring them in. And so we bring the inside, the grace and the reality and the truth of the outside natural world into our home. And it gives the room tremendous life. Yes, absolutely. In feng shui, we often will recommend bringing flowers into a home to add more life energy, to um, move any stuck or stagnant chi energy. And it can bring color, it can bring life, it can bring beautiful fragrances, it can uplift um, depressed, uh, depressed feelings or sad feelings. And also, um, there's a level of care put to bringing flowers in. You, you need to put them in water. You do need to look at the water a little bit, maybe after a few days, and then you need to dispose of them. So there's attention put on that, too. Oh, oh, certainly. It's like anything else that's alive. Like if your pet cat or your pet dog or your pet bird mm-hmm. you, or your pet turtle, uh, you have to care for it. Otherwise, the water becomes foul and it smells bad and it ruins the, the plant, the cut plants that are actually in your vase. And um, changing water is very important because water is the blood of the planet, just like your body and um, body, the blood inside your body. If it's not clean and it's not functioning, the sickness comes very quickly. So the plants that you bring into your home, the flowers you bring into your home will die much more quickly if you don't attend to them and also disposing of flowers in old Japan this is probably very 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 difficult for let's say New Yorkers or city dwelling people and also for western culture but in old Japan when people would study flower arranging which is called ikebana after the arrangement was finished and it needed to go into the throwaway situation, they were actually put in small cemeteries just for the flowers. Mm, that's so there beautiful. Was, there was so much respect that was played. So these special places where the flowers would be disposed of were out of respect that the piece of life, which we call flowers or branches, had um, given itself, you might say, to bring... Uh, joy and a sense of beauty and a sense of grace to the home. So here in the city's dwelling situations, I always recommend that when things are ready to go back to the land, that if you have a fireplace, you can burn the pieces. Now the other way is to put them in a put the cut up the pieces and put them in a piece of newspaper and put them in the throwaway garbage, but not just mindlessly throw them on top of old spaghetti and chicken bones and that sort of thing. And just think of your pet. Would you do that to your cat that Mm -hmm. passed or your Mm -hmm. dog? And most people, I think, would say no. So it's cultivating respect for life altogether. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love doing that. Um, So we can start wrapping things up, talking about our final question. So, Marcia, if someone doesn't have the experience of bringing flowers into their home or 
I know it's actually very intimidating to to bring flowers into your home because I remember I didn't know anything about how to arrange flowers and I would put them in a vase and it would look terrible. So, and I'm not talking about practical ways, but what's um, a way that some of our listeners can get started bringing flowers into their home or into their spaces in a more holistic and mindful way? Mm-hmm. I think that's another easy question, actually. Thank you for asking it. I think when you are beginning to bring flowers into your life, whether you buy them at a florist or whether you buy them uh, from a street market or even gather them from a neighbor's garden, if you should be so lucky, go towards that which attracts you. <clears throat> so go towards the flower or the color colors that actually attract you. Instead of picking maybe a bouquet that's already arranged for you, you could actually find out what magnetizes you. Because if you bring something into your home that you enjoy, that you like, that you already feel friendly with, this is already positive energy. And maybe you only want to bring one flower. Well, then you can do the same approach. Just to choose that which you love or, or, or are attracted to. And if it's a cut flower, which mostly most of the time it is, don't spend a lot of time with it going from the market or the garden to back to your home, especially in the summertime, because they're extremely fragile and they will wilt and they will suffer in that long journey. And of course, that means don't leave them in the hot car for hours. You will not have anything left. So you plan um, your choosing of flowers and bringing them home maybe as the last chore of the day if you were doing shopping or something like that or visiting your friend with a garden and immediately bring them home, unwrap them and then cut their stem again about a half an inch or sometimes an inch under water and then put them in water in a vase and the fashion now I've noticed is to only give the vase maybe half half height of water but Give them full height of water because if you have something other than a crystal vase, uh, flowers are very happy with a lot of water. It's their blood. It's their life force, especially now that they're cut from their mother root and they're on their way to death. This relationship with cool water is important. And the water should not be hot, should not be freezing cold, but room temperature or cool to within the house. And then there's a few things that are too easy to remember. Don't put them in hot places like in a window where the sun will come in and cook them, nor near radiators, nor near stoves or anything that is hot because they suffer from heat. Uh, You know as well as I do that the only plants that are happy in hot weather are things like cactus that are thick and highly protected, highly protected skins. So they have to have that in order to protect themselves from heat and sun. But here in the temperate zone, things are thin and fragile. So heat is important. And then also I suggest if you have pets at home, don't um, put additives in the water to preserve them because if your pet actually drinks the water, the pet might become sick and you don't want to cause that situation to happen. The space where you put your flowers, if it's very crowded with a lot of bottles or candles or uh, various kinds of thing in your home, 
it really probably will not give you as much nourishment visually and energetically unless it has its own space around it somehow. So the lack of clutter is important, first of all, I think, for a healthy home altogether. But when you are presenting something as rich and as uh, profound as a bouquet of flowers, the, to have clutter around it... Um, muddles, it muddles it up. It does. It also muddles your ability to actually appreciate it because your eyes are full of the clutter as well as the flowers. But it's very different when it's clear. Mm-hmm. And what else might be a way to approach flowers? Well, go with that. Go with fl- shapes and colors that you appreciate and you love first. And later on, you c- I think you can begin to discover the wide, endless range that's available across the planet. Well, thank you so much, Marsha. I think that was a great approach for the beginner to bring flowers into their home. And also, thank you so much for talking to us about the path of flowers. Oh, Angie, you're terribly, terribly welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this earlier episode of the Holistic Spaces podcast. Now you can tune in every Monday for a new podcast episode. If you like our podcast and this episode, please share the podcast with others. Subscribe and even better, leave a review. If you'd like to explore the world of holistic spaces and feng shui on an even deeper level, please visit our website, online store, and blog for more information about feng shui and holistic living. You can visit holisticspaces.com. Support the podcast by checking out our certification and mini courses at mindfuldesignschool.com. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.